The Giants are back from a bye as they head to the Windy City to take on the struggling Bears. We preview the matchup with New York Post Giants beat writer Paul Schwartz. We also chat with the Giants Super Bowl champion and a heck of an interviewee, the great Phil McConkie. All that and more next on Blue Rush with the New York Post. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Blue Rush, a New York Giants podcast with the New York Post. I am your host, Jimmy Fallon. Come join us for new episodes Mondays and Thursdays. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're joined today by Phil McConkie, a Super Bowl champion-winning giant. That's a thing. Google it. It happened. I know it's hard to believe in this day and age, but there was a time when we were dumping Gatorade all over ourselves, parading down the Canyon of Heroes. Joining me now on the show, my personal hero. I've never dumped Gatorade on him, but he has dumped cold water on my dreams a few times on this show. The lovely and talented Paul Schwartz is in the house. Hey, Paul Schwartz. Jimmy, talk about um, dumping uh, cold water on dreams, right? That is the um, going to be the podcast for the New York Giants 2019 season. <laughs> He's, I love you, Paul Schwartz, because you're always so chipper, you know? Giants 2019, dumping cold water on dreams. Paul, I like this one. Paul Schwartz, the glass is half full with cyanide. Good to hear from you, man. How was the, uh, how was the bye week? How'd the bye week treat you? Do anything good to get your mind off this? Well, Jimmy, this whole bye week thing is, um, it's almost bye, W-E-A-K. You know, people say bye week. Now, the players are in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, okay? And they're off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So where I come from, a week is seven days and not four, right? So, you know, the, the, we, we always go to the players. This happens every year. And, you know, people like me, uh, maybe people like you, I don't know. I'm not sure what kind of people you are, but, um, uh, you know, we, we, we go to the players and say, well, how was your bye week? And they're like, well, it was really two and a half days and I spent some in the airport and I traveled. So, you know, you look for miracle cures with a team that's doing badly in a bye week. There's nothing there. Uh, but these guys are a little more refreshed. I saw them in the locker room this week and, uh, you know, they, they just haven't been uh, hit on. You know, their bodies have had a rest for three or four or five days. So they should be at least fresher anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's nice. And, and the bye week's also nice. Forget the NFL. Just with, like, Black Friday shopping coming up, we're all going to be getting tackled in Walmart. So it's good to just get out of pads for a few days, you know? Do you – I wanted to ask you this. Uh, do, are you a Black Friday shopper? There's a football reason why I'm asking you this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, first of all, um, I'm a Hanukkah shopper. So uh, ha- Hanukkah comes uh, um, different times, different years, always sometime in uh, late November, December, and uh, – no, I am a um, you know I, I'm not I'm not a uh, anti mall guy. You know, some people hate the mall. I don't hate the mall, but um, Friday after Thanksgiving, no, thank you. No, there's other times I can get there. Well, yeah, and this is the reason I ask Paul Schwartz because it's a football question. A lot of football fans tell me they're going to buy flat screens on Friday, uh, Black Friday, but I'm not one for switching screens in the middle of the year unless you switch for the Super Bowl. Like, there needs to be a specific reason you're switching TVs. I don't think you can make a switch in week 11. I, I don't get behind it, Paul Schwartz. Can you weigh in on that? Are you for or against the midseason uh, flat screen switch? No, I think you definitely can. I mean, if you're not, if you don't like what you're seeing, right? If you look in the mirror, you don't like what you're wearing, you change, right? So this is what I'm trying to tell our friends, Paul. I'm trying to tell our friends we're two and eight. The TV isn't why you're not enjoying the Giants games. It's the tackling. It's the defense. Those flat screen TVs have shown what nine 
lost fumbles for Daniel Jones. And, uh, you know, um, the flat screen TV that people had showed Saquon Barkley. And this, I still choke when I say this, what, 12 rushing attempts against the Jets for one yard? So um, here's here's a New York Post guarantee. Saquon Barkley will have more rushing yards in Chicago than he will than he had his last game against the Jets, guaranteed. Whoa, you think so? I mean, that's I, it would mean a lot to me because in the last three games, he's been outrushed by a cat, which is never a good sign for our organization. But Chicago, okay, a team that's also having, an, uh, you know, to be putting it mildly, an in-between year at four and six, and they don't have a kicking game, um, and certainly they're underachieving. Is Mitchell Trubinsky not on the field this week? Is that what we ought to expect? I think he will be on the field, yeah. I think... Um... Um, he practiced uh, Wednesday. Uh, you know, they said he had a hip pointer, and that's why they wink, wink, nod, nod, took him out of the game the other day for Chase Daniels. Uh, you know, Chase Daniels is a career backup. Uh, if you remember, Jimmy, last year the Giants played the Bears, and don't forget the Bears won 12 games and won the NFC North last year, and the Giants beat them in overtime at MetLife Stadium, and Chase Daniels was the quarterback that day. Mitchell Trubisky was hurt. But, uh, you know, they are in, you know, you, you want, if you want to have quarterback limbo, it's not a thing you want. You know, the Giants are breaking in a new rookie quarterback and, you know, growing pains, but they feel good about Daniel Jones. The Bears, three years into this Mitchell Trubisky deal, are now looking at him and they're wondering, is he the guy? He has regressed this year. You really don't want to be there wondering if your young quarterback is the guy. Uh, the way I see it is you take the Giants going on the road getting six and a half, and uh, you just pray. Because I, not that they've shown me anything in the last few weeks. I mean, I believe they're like 0-6 since we started this podcast. What a good luck charm we were. Uh, but I'd like to think we can play that team close because they've looked flat and we're coming off the bye. Where do you weigh in on my 6.5-point uh, wager? Well, the Giants have been fairly close in a lot of games. Um, 6.5, I think I'm going to be taking the Bears in the New York Post uh, weekly rankings, which I have, um, I'm ascending the leaderboard there. I'm not near the leaders, but I am ascending slowly, unlike the Giants who are um, descending. Um, I, look, the Giants can play fairly well in Chicago and still lose by a touchdown. I don't think it's a, I think it's a tough bet. I think it's a, it's just hard. It's really hard to look at the Giants now and know what to expect. It really is. Their defense is not good. They're putting more and more young players on the field. Uh, we have a story at this week's paper on Corey Ballantyne, the rookie cornerback, sixth-round pick, who now is their completely number one slot cornerback, and that's, that's a hard responsibility uh, with DeAndre Baker, with Dexter Lawrence. That's three rookies playing prominent roles. Uh, you know, is this the week Daniel Jones is going to hold on to the ball? When, when he holds on to the ball and throws it, good things usually happen. Uh, the Bears are desperate. The Bears are absolutely desperate to win. It's their home. Uh, so, you know, it, I think it's another hard game for the Giants because they're all hard games for the Giants. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm still, that being said, I'm still taking the six and a half and just crossing my fingers. But again, I am a daydream believer, as you've been telling me now the whole season. Um, coming off a of bye. You know, we were speculating heading into the bye that there might be some type of house cleaning on the special team side, the defensive side. What are we to expect in terms of who's coming back on the line? I know we have no Sterling Shepard. Are we getting anybody back? Well, Sterling Shepard might be back. Uh, you know, this sounds like a recording. He might be back. He is he's practicing fully this week. Okay. So that is the last 
hurdle to getting cleared from the concussion protocol. There are five steps of the concussion protocol, and the Giants have a few players, um, uh, Janoris Jenkins, uh, Nate Solder, who are practicing, but they're still in the protocol. What happens is you don't get cleared from the protocol till late in the week when you see the independent neurologist. He checks you out, checks the baseline scores. Uh, they check with the medicals. They see if you're practicing. So he is practicing. Now, let's not forget, about a month ago, we were down this same trail with Sterling Shepard. I wrote, everybody wrote, everybody anticipated Sterling Shepard's coming back. And that Saturday, he told the Giants, you know, I'm not feeling that well. He got checked out and they said, okay, you're back in the protocol. So barring that, I think he could come back. But there are no major changes. Um, you know, the bye week did not... Uh, you know, have a have a, a, a epiphany for Pat Shermer and, and Dave Gettleman that we need to make all these changes. It looks like that um, guys like John Halapio, the center, and Mike Remmers, the right tackle, are back. Don't forget, they were both out against the Jets. It was a disaster, a real disaster. So now uh, those guys are not great, but they're better than the guys that they uh, had replacing them. Beautiful. So you're taking it all on the six and a half, and if that doesn't work, we'll have to go steal some cheap flat screen TVs to make the money back. You know what? At this point, the spread is what it is. The Giants, as Pat Shermer started his press conference on Wednesday, it's time we won a game. And and he's really right about that. I mean, the Bears are a better team than the Giants, but it's not like they're going to play the Cowboys or the Patriots or, or the, the Packers who will come the next week. You know, this is a game that's – this is a team that's struggling. They've lost, what, four out of five or something. It is on the road, but it is time for the Giants to win a game. It really is. I mean, this is – this is we talked about the holiday season. I mean, this losing is – this losing is, is is Black Friday, Black Saturday, Black Sunday, Black Monday. It's black, black, black. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been pretty. Well, in the immortal words of Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. And uh, Paul Schwartz, your record says you're undefeated on this show. So I thank you for joining me, and let's do it again next week. All right, Jimmy. Take care. You're the best, man. Take it easy. Let's take you into the world of Sam's Fantasy this week with our New York Post fantasy football writer, Samantha Praviti. Thanks, Jimmy. It's the penultimate week of the fantasy regular season. Let's run through half of the Sunday Week 12 slate and let you know who to start and who to sit. Let's kick it off with the G-Men in the Windy City. Start Allen Robinson. He's got seven games with over 60 yards and eight games with seven or more targets and going up against a very bad Giants secondary. Darius Slayton. It looks like Sterling Shepard might be returning to play after a long absence with the concussion protocol. The rookie is a boomer bust option. It's Samantha's shootout of the week as the Falcons go for three straight against the Bucks. Start Calvin Ridley. He had his best game last week and caught all eight targets for 143 yards and a TD. Sit OJ Howard. He has one target and laid a goose egg for fantasy owners last week against the Saints. Even in this great matchup, you're sitting the tight end. Hopefully no helmets fly in this AFC North matchup between the Steelers and Bengals. Start Jalen Samuels. Samuels will be the lead back in this mouth-watering matchup in Cincy with James Conner likely out. Sit Tyler Boyd. He only had three targets last week in Oakland. Who knows what to expect with Ryan Finley under center. Can the Bills pull away in the AFC wildcard race against the Broncos? Start John Brown. He absolutely lit up the Dolphins in Miami and has been a consistent start in almost every game this season. Sit Noah Fant. The Rook has been a drop machine and caught only 4 of 11 passes last week. We've got a real barn burner in Cleveland as the Browns take on the Dolphins. Start Devontae Parker. 
He's been a consistent play almost every week. He sneakily finished in the top 32 among wide receivers in the last seven games. Sit, Kalen Balage. He's one of the least efficient backs in the league. Nine attempts for nine yards in week 11, ew. And finally, the Panthers will try to stop the bleeding against the Saints. Start DJ Moore. The young wideout is averaging 100 plus yards in the last three games and saw twice as many targets as Curtis Samuel last week. Sit, the Panthers defense. They're giving up an average of 30 points since week five. They can't be trusted against Drew Brees. And that's all for Sam's Fantasy. You can read my Start Sit articles as well as the rest of fantasy football coverage at nypost.com. Good luck in week 12. Joining us now on the line, a man who is a Super Bowl champion winning giant that we are so thrilled to have here with us today. He was a member of the 1986 team that took him down in Super Bowl 21. They beat up the Broncos out in Pasadena, and we are thrilled to have him here with us today. Phil McConkey is in the house. What's happening, Phil? Jimmy, how you guys doing? Oh, good. I got to start right off here because obviously you've had a very decorated career and you caught a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl and everybody remembers that amazing flea flicker. But what was the greater thrill in your athletic career? Is it winning Super Bowl 21 or being inducted into the greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame? <laughs> well, listen, you know, your, your, your heart's where you come from. Uh, you know, Buffalo's a big part of my life and, uh, that was a thrill. That was an honor because, you know, you grow up and you, you think about doing some great things and to be honored by your hometown. So uh, really honored with that. But uh, listen, since you're a little boy, you think about playing in the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. And uh, to have that um, come to reality, is a, it's, it's a great thing. Yeah, no, that's incredible. But I got to go back to Buffalo because I am very pro-Buffalo. I grew up on Long Island, but I've spent a lot of time there. When you get inducted into the Hall of Fame, do they give you like a big bottle of Chevetti sauce? How does that work? Yeah, you know, we got a bunch of bucket of chicken wings and, you know, and uh, uh, some beef on, beef on wet and you're good to go. That's all you need. I love it. No, that's great stuff, man. It's a big deal. And I, I had to ask. I had to know when I was doing my research on you because that one killed me. Um, we have a mutual friend, obviously, in Steve Serby. And I don't I don't really admit that publicly a lot, but uh, I am friends with Steve Serby. Um, there was a question we were supposed to ask you during this interview about fielding punts in practice with Bill Parcells. Can you give us some background on that? Listen, there's a guy that absolutely refused to accept excuses from his players. And, you know, you're coddled a lot in life as, as a young person throughout school and sports and pats on the back. But, boy, I'll tell you, you hit slam into reality when, you, when you're up against that guy because you can't hide from anything. And he is so extremely demanding and was to a point where I could honestly say at one point in my life I was better at doing something than anybody on the face of the planet. And that was catching punts because I had to do it all day, every day countless times with him standing right next to me. And sometimes Belichick was on the other side. So I had both of these guys who demanded that I be perfect every single time. And no matter how well I did, no matter how many balls I caught and tossed up in the air and juggled and caught behind my back, it was never good enough. And I remember one time in practice, this was after the Super Bowl, we had won the Super Bowl and 
you know, I had caught six, seven, eight punts in a championship game against the Redskins in hurricane-like conditions at Giants Stadium to get us to the Super Bowl. This is months later in training camp, the second day. And by the way, back then, there were six weeks of two-a-days, you know, full pads every day. You know, I think right now the, the, the rule is 14 padded practices for the entire year. We had 14 padded practices before the first preseason game. So it was brutal. The second morning, the second morning of two-a-days. I mean, there's two weeks before our first preseason game. I caught a finger in the eye, and I go to an ophthalmologist, optometrist, and I've got a scratch cornea. So they put some antibiotic in my eye, and I have a black patch that they put over my eye. Now, most other teams or coaches, you know, you don't go back on the field until at least your vision comes back, right? Uh, you know, you, you at least have the afternoon practice off. Now, it's one o'clock, two o'clock, and I'm in the same pad from the morning, hadn't taken a shower, and I stopped with the trainer, Ronnie Barnes, at 7-Eleven to get a sandwich because we're going to be late getting back for the afternoon practice. I go in. I, I, I'm, I'm almost late for practice. I get yelled at Parcells so for almost being late. I got a black patch over my eye. You know, you have no depth perception. Listen, you have no depth perception with one eye. Now, I got to go through practice. Catching passes wasn't, you know, bad. It was hard, but... You know, the loft of the ball, I could still catch, okay? After practice, I got to go catch punts. We had three punters at that time. Sean Mandata, two other rookies that they just bring in. I'm standing back there. I'm catching punts till their legs fall off. They're gone, okay? So now I got a ball boy out there. The only one left is Parcells, myself, a ball boy with a jug machine, launching punts 50, 60 yards away. And, and, and I'm catching them. And listen, we got one eye. One <laughs> eye catching punts. It was extremely difficult. Now, here I am. Now, now remember this. I'm out on the field. I've been in the same clothes since 7.30 in the morning. It's going on going on 4.35 o'clock, right? I barely had anything to eat. I'm watching my teammates come out of the locker room after their second shower, headed to their second meal, and I'm still in the same clothes from this morning, and, and I've got Parcel standing next to me, like, on my you-know-what nonstop. So hard as it was, I'm catching all these punts right at the end, again, ourselves, the ball boy, me, and a jug machine. That's it. All the fans had left. The players are all gone. I dropped one at the end. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> he screamed at me at the top of his lungs as if I had just fumbled away the Super Bowl. Now, at that point, I, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to punch him right in the face. I hated that guy. I was so frustrated. I was tired. I was hungry. I, I, I was beside myself. But you know what he did? He forced me to get so much more out of myself than I ever thought I had to give. He forced me to focus so far beyond, and that's the definition of leadership, the ability to convince others that they can do a hell of a lot more than they think they can do. That's Bill Parcells. That's the magic. That's why he's so successful. And by the way, Belichick learned under that. Tom Coughlin learned under that. So I played for Parcells, Coughlin, Belichick. I don't know. These guys combined and won almost 20% of all the Super Bowls in history as a head coach. That's crazy. I mean, and, and, and most other coaches with the one eye thing would have at least had the decency to trade you to the Pirates, you know. That's a mess, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's a crazy That's a crazy story. Was he always that demanding? Was that just his M.O. all the way through? Always. Never. No, no. I'll never let up. And Belichick's the same way. There's, the way. there's no secret why these guys stay on top. They demand perfection all day, every day. The pressure that they put on people is 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 unbelievable it's unbearable and a lot of people can't handle it that's why a lot of people can't play for those guys but they find the guys that can do it 
And listen, do you want to be coddled? Do you want to have club med? You know, a lot of people, a lot of guys in the NFL are happy just to be there. They're happy with, especially in this day and age, they're happy with the celebrity. They're happy getting paid. But when it comes to getting uh, a, a demand by a coach like that, they can't handle it. They will. So they don't, they can't play for those guys. But when they find people in a group of people, I got, I got, I was so honored to play with guys. Scott Lawrence Taylor, man. I, I, and Harry Carson and, and Sims and Jim Burton, Joe Morris and Carl, but I can go on and on and on about superstars that still, still would do anything to win and they did everything for their teammates. And, you know, see, Lawrence, the great thing about Lawrence, a lot of people don't know, in the locker room, he was Lawrence. He wasn't LT, okay? He was one of the greatest teammates that anyone could possibly have. You know, the persona is him as this, you know, individual, you know, bigger than life, superstar, cares about himself. No way. In the locker room, he was a great, still is. I mean, I, I, I can't say enough. And that's, that, man, listen, you want to you be champion? That's the kind of makeup that you have to have. Well, I wanted to ask you this, because you were talking about, you know, when Parcells is really riding you out there and you're catching punts with one eye and you tell me, you know, you wish you could punch him in the face. Obviously, you didn't. You're a pro. You held it together. Is there ever an instance of somebody not holding it together? Did LT ever snap on him or anybody like that not respond positively to this stuff? Well, I wouldn't say not respond positively, but, you know, if any, if anyone, yeah, no, no, I, I think if anyone would ever have snapped, it would have been LT. You know, maybe there was an instance, I, you know, there's one incident that is caught on NFL films and you could see it over and over again. Sims, Sims on the sideline of some game started to give him some lip or came back at him and the look on Parcells' face and Parcells went at him and you could see Sims physically back off, right? <laughs> so, so that's a great example of someone trying to go at Parcells and they get shut down immediately. But, you know, a Harry Carson, I, you know, like guy like Harry Carson or George Martin, you know, not that they're going at him, but he respected them so much. You know, they were the, the better, veterans, they were the leaders. Uh, Parcells had a tremendous amount of respect for them, and, and, and rightfully so. They were great leaders who led us to the Super Bowl, and uh, he had complete faith in them. Wow. Um, Mark Bavaro was on the show, and he told us a great story about on one of his first few days in training camp, uh, a ball got airmailed over the middle. He got crushed by LT, and he said LT laughed at him while he was on the ground. And then he said he, he stood up and threw a ball at LT's head, and they had a little bit of a, a disagreement. Was that a common thing on this team? Were, were you guys running hot during camp like that? Well, listen, during training camp, again, six weeks of two-a-days, full pads, full hitting, all day, every day, in the heat, in the humidity. And by the way, the conditions at Pace University and then Fairleigh Dickinson, especially at Pace, were so horrific. In the morning, you come out for practice, and we have to get down on the ground and stretch. Well, the overnight mildew from the humidity was all over the field. In addition, geese, geese would land there after practice and, and have their droppings. So just to find a place to stretch where you didn't do it in the goose, you know, doo-doo, was, was, a, was a task. Let me tell you something. It, it, you know, look, I'm an old guy. People don't want to hear about, you know, what it was like before. But the conditions that we, the, the conditions that we had to practice under and play under, you know, back then, the guys today would go on strike. They they would refuse to do it. <laughs> and but it's it's just a microcosm of society the way we live today compared to the way it was 
you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, but going back to your original question, yeah, there was a lot of chippiness. Yeah, there was great competitiveness, but it was like having a brother, right? You know, you go at it with your brother, but my gosh, when somebody else would come at you or your family, you banded together and you fought together. And that's the same thing, uh, what it's like on a football team, especially those teams. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's funny that you say, too, about how the modern era and the modern player w- wouldn't do this. They wouldn't partake in those types of conditions. Is there a modern player on this giant team that could have hung with your crew, that could have fit in on that team? Or is it just unfair to even ask anybody to attempt to live in that era? Yeah, I think it's unfair to ask any of these kids. They didn't, they, they didn't grow up in it. And I'm not saying that. But there's also, these guys are tough. They're big. They're strong. They're fast. They're the most incredibly athletic people. They're gifted in so many different ways. So it's not fair to try to take them. Uh, uh, listen, I, these guys, I, I'm telling you right now, these are some of the most competitive, incredible people on the face of the planet. And if they had to, they would have, you know, if the conditions were different. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and and you know what? That's that's the truth. You you know, you got to play the teams on the schedule, as they say. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't been playing them terribly well this year, but you never know. We'll bounce back. Uh, you left New York, obviously. You went to Green Bay. You went to you know Phoenix and San Diego. Is is there anything that compares to playing in New York? I mean, I know Green Bay, obviously, in the short time you were there, has a reputation as being an incredible atmosphere to play in. What is is there anything out there like New York? No, there's nothing like it. Um, uh, you know, so there, those Green Bay, Arizona, San Diego, great places. You know, Green Bay. The time I was there, uh, it, 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 they they were kind of on hard times, so you just still didn't have the mystique of the of the of the Packers of the Super Bowl years or the original Super Bowl years. But but listen, especially back uh, when I was with the Giants, it had been 30 years since. The Giants had been involved in any championship, so fans were extremely hungry. So the buildup to you know that first Super Bowl was was absolutely incredible. I mean, the fans were beside themselves. It was uh, just the you know the old Frank Sinatra song, man. Especially after waiting thirty years, you know, there's nothing like New York. Do something like that on that stage. So. Oh, I remember you guys because this is the year after the sh- Super Bowl shuffle. I remember on the radio, you guys had its own song. It was Victory. It was like a Cool in the Gang song. And they had made a, a Cool in the Gang remix for the Giants. The Giants is number one. We'll watch Joe Morris run in Super Bowl twenty one. I mean, that was a that was a hit, McConkey. You should be in another you should be in another Hall of Fame. I'm still listening to Cool in the Gang. In fact, you bring that up, it reminds me of being on a on the on the ship in the middle of the you know, Atlantic Ocean as a pilot in the Navy. You know, I had uh to tape these songs and Cool and the Gang. I had an album and Cool and the Gang was one of the one of the albums. So like, you know, you only have a couple of them and you're playing over and over and over for six or seven months and they're ingrained in your head for the rest of your life. So when you mentioned Cool and the Gang, you know, I got have to go back to my Navy days flying uh, aboard ship. <laughs> that's really awesome, man. And you got to hold on to Cool and the Gang because I know that's a go-to with the ladies too. Yeah, that it stands the test of time, Cool and the Gang. Let me tell you right now. It sure does. Well, I will say this, Phil McConkey. We have celebrated good times on this show here today, but I want to ask you one more thing, too. Um, knowing what you now know, having been a Super Bowl champion and, and doing all these great things, have you ever taken a minute to reflect on your video game accomplishments? Because you were a very good receiver in Tech Mobile. But they said I was really slow. I wasn't much on video games. I don't think I ever played it. Um, but the, you know, knock was always, always, always slow. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm against stereotypes of any type, you know, especially when they got a small guy like me and they, they, that was slow, but, uh, they look at the end of the day, 
it doesn't matter as long as you win. So uh, I think I won more than I lost. You definitely did. And you were great at Tech Mobile, although I didn't think it was cool of them to put you in there with the one eye. Yeah, well, that should have been. I, um, that, I, that would have been a handicap that I would have overcome and maybe it would have made me a better Tech Mobile player. I don't know. Listen, I know all about overcoming handicaps because I do the show with Steve Serby every week. So I'm well aware of playing against a stacked deck. Well, you know, it's, it's, we all have burdens to bear. If you're just Steve Serby, God bless you. <laughs> I didn't quite serve our country in the military like you, but I do get some kind of type of combat pay for working with Serby. I, I, I got to tell you, I don't. I was thinking about you know him the other day. Uh, we had dinner a few months ago in New York. It's like 35 years of friendship. It's pretty, pretty incredible when you think about it. And the thing that I always admired about him, uh, and still do, and, 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 and listen, at the end of the day, call me anything but the great the great thing i think anybody can be called is being a competitor and i don't care if you're you know a, a school teacher a pro athlete a sports writer um if you're a competitor man that's to me that's that's the greatest compliment steve serby has been a competitor for you know three and a half decades that i've known him and that's what i admire about him and that's what uh i know i love about steve serby he's a competitor and even in the locker room you know he'll take on richard todd you know who's you know, 60, 70 pounds heavier, two feet taller, you know, and he'll take him on. He doesn't care. He's a competitor. No, he is. Listen, I, I, I just wanted to insult him. I didn't know you were going to sing Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. But, uh, Phil, <laughs> seriously, man, great interview. I really appreciate you coming by. All right, Jimmy. Thanks so much. Good luck to you. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. Let me bring in our producer, Jake Brown, as we take a look at the betting side in the NFL this week with a new segment, Brown's Best Bets. What it do, baby? It's Brown's Best Bets around the NFL for Week 12. Inject parlays into my veins. I'm coming off a three-parlay win week, so your boy is sizzling. Let me give you my three-team $25 parlay that will cash you around $150. And if you're feeling like a real boss, make it a $50 parlay to win $300 smackaroos. First off, give me over 38 in Broncos Bills. Denver scored 23 last week and 24 the week before. The Bills dropped 37 last week, so you're going to tell me, hammer that over, baby. Part de the parlay. Inject over 45 and a half in my veins when the Colts go to Houston. When these teams played a month ago, it was a 30-23 game. The Colts coming off their highest scoring game, dropping 33. Outside of last week against the Ravens defense, the Texans haven't had any issues putting up points. 46 or more will hit here. And the grand finale in your three-team parlay, Grab the Steelers minus six and a half against the Bengals. Listen, Ryan Finley was 13 of 31 with 115 yards and a pick, and he's getting sacked left and right last week. The Steelers' defense is going to make his life a nightmare. Say no more. Pittsburgh will blow them out. And now, my three locks this week against the spread. I can't tell you why the four and six Browns are favored by ten and a half against the Dolphins. Listen, the Dolphins stink, but have the Browns shown us that they'll blow anybody out right now? except Miles Garrett blowing a guy's head out with a helmet. Fitzmagic has kept the Dolphins close. Miami's 3-1 against the spread. Locking the Dolphins to cover the 10.5-point spread. Number two, I give Brandon Allen credit. He's keeping the Broncos close, but I'm not taking him over his long-lost family member, Josh Allen. Phil's defense is going to have an early Thanksgiving feast. Buffalo's four-point favorites at home, and they win this game by at least a touchdown in front of Bill's Mafia. So jump through your kitchen table, and when you cash out this bet, use this money to buy a new one made of mahogany. Last but not least, give me the Lions by three and a half in the nation's capital against the Redskins. 
who, yes, are in the NFL right now. Listen, Dwayne Haskins, the offensive line, that whole team is a mess. And Jeff Driscoll has actually been solid so far for the Lions. He's keeping them in games. The Lions take care of business by a touchdown or more. So go treat yourself to a fancy steak dinner or two and a bottle of bubbly. Good luck, my friends. Go win some cash. That's it for this episode of Blue Rush. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making the magic happen. To hear the latest Blue Rush episodes, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Giants news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting NewYorkPost.com. We'll be back with a brand new episode first thing Monday morning, recapping the Giants game in Chicago. See you then. We'll